morning. Today we have an opportunity to have some conversations with one another. Um, I need my paper here. And I think we have a late substitute as well. Don. Where's Don? Hello, Don. Make your way down onto the panel stage. Would you welcome Don? Have a seat in one of these chairs. Uh, Sarah couldn't be with us this morning, so keep her in your prayers. I also want to invite Drew. Where are you at, Drew? Where Drew? There's Drew. Give it up. Rick. Where's Rick? There's Rick. Bigger cheer than Drew. Oh, boy. Sukit. Smattering of applause. Come on. Before we begin, I'll introduce me. Hey, fam. My name is Rohati. Um, I don't think I know pretty much, I don't know anybody. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Uh, in church language, they would call me a church planner. Uh, nobody in my church would call me that. They wouldn't even call me pastor. I hail from the great Canadian province of Alberta. What's up? Alberta for almost oh, three plus decades. Go way back. And today we're going to, you want me to make a face, a sign, natural? Thank you, Larry. It's one of the few men I know. Larry and I go back all the way to 2013 when we were fishing the rough seas of Lower Sackville. Which there's no sea there. It was just, we were just looking for a pub that was open past 11. And uh, the only place was the Boston Pizza, so that's Halifax. <laughs> we want to have a conversation about this topic. Developing kingdom-centric community and its implications on church planting and mission. I'm reading it here because I'm going to switch that. Uh, church planning is something that we've grown up with and we've sort of regarded as the one hero. Church planner goes in, plants, and then we cheer them on. Kind of like mission work, the professional missionaries go out and do that kind of thing. Not us, we stay at home, but we cheer them on, send them some cash. But what if we centered kingdom on the entirety of what we do as church, as people? What would that look like? I think we're all good Protestants here, and that's the priesthood of all believers. We get that in name, but sometimes in name only. And it's the qualified people who do, who do, who do. And since we're leaders here, I know many of you, if not all of you, think of ways to unlock the fullness of the gifts of those who are in your churches so that they can chase and discover the fullness of life in the kingdom so, I'm going to start off with the easiest question here for our panel. 30 seconds. Hello? Who are you? Why are you here? Maybe just who you are. Go ahead, Rick. Just my name, or what do you want? Sure, just a little quick 30-second intro. Hi, I'm Rick. Hello? 
Is this working? Just talk loud. Is this working? Hello? Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Hello, my name is Rick Bergen, and I, I grew up in Abbotsford. I worked for a number of years in, a couple of years in Alberta and a number of years up in the Yukon, but I ended up in the Amazon with my wife, and we raised our family there for the last 25 years. Hi. Oh, uh, my name is Sukit from Bangkok, Thailand. Born there, lived there, and partly part of my life was in Hong Kong and also in Australia. And uh, Mary, my wife is in Quebec now, coming back tonight with my daughter. I have two children. One is 26, one is 24 years old. Yes. I'm here because uh, you guys invited me to come. It's <laughs> wonderful. That's a booming preacher's voice, too. Maybe we can drop the bass on my mic there to kind of match up. Well. Hello, I'm Drew. Um, I am, I guess I could say, the son of Tony and Carol Hart. Uh, my dad is originally from Philadelphia. My mom from Jamaica. She moved over when she was 19. I, I said, I'm sorry, there we go. I am the son of Tony and Carol Hart. My father grew up in Philly, my mom in Jamaica, and she moved to the States when she was 19. Um, I'm married to Renee. She, um, we've been married for 10 years this summer, um, and we have three kids. Micah, named after the prophet. He learned Micah 6-8 when he was very young. Um, our second child is Dietrich, who's named after Bonhoeffer. Um, yeah, and then our third son is uh, Vincent, who's named after Vincent Harding, who was a friend of Martin Luther King, and he was kind of like a black Anabaptist kind of interesting kind of figure um, who you should all learn and learn more about. But anyway, yeah. Um, my name is Dawn Humphreys. You notice the pronunciation of Dawn, right? Not Dawn, just saying. I hail from Liverpool, England, and I am a Liverpool football club supporter, just saying. I'm passionate about my, um, my lads over the pond. Um, I have been here in Vancouver 18 years. I spent eight years in Hong Kong and India and Macau doing intentional community, living in and among um, people who are struggling with addictions mostly, working with people who slept on the street, working with women, in recovery, all sorts of things, very fun time. And um, then I kind of ended up in Vancouver, thought I was gonna be in Vancouver for two weeks, which turned into 18 years. And um, yeah, it's a fun life. I have one, thank you. Well, welcome our panel here with a round of applause. Hello. Second easy question, 60 seconds. 60. Yeah. What is the kingdom? Simple. Who wants to start? 60 seconds. It's a bit of a review, but I'm just stalling right now. You want to think about it? Well, the first thought that comes to mind is, is the kingdom of God is just us walking with the Holy Spirit on our everyday life, on the sidewalks and stuff. It's not, it's about Sunday too, but, but Sunday is, is like the other days. We walk with the Holy Spirit on Sundays and on the other days on the streets. And so that's what we try to pass on with our people in Brazil. C can you do this on your everyday life? 
kingdom. I learned this from the vineyard in Canada years ago, but I'm, I'm still learning now. And I think for me, uh, what I learned from the vineyard in Canada is that kingdom is the rule and reign of God. But in recent years, the rule and reign of God for me, it, uh, sorry, I used, if I wrong, used the wrong English, please forgive me. I think the kingdom become personified into Jesus. So recent year, kingdom for me is Jesus. And, and, and recent year, it also means Christ in me. So what it means is that how is this kingdom, how is Jesus living out in and through me? And how it affects other people. So to me, kingdom is about Jesus living in me and through me. Um, using the language that Sarah used yesterday in terms of talking about God's dream for us in the, uh, in the book of Isaiah, over and over again, you get this picture of shalom, of what God is doing, of how the kind of restoration that God wants for all of humanity and all of creation. And so when I think about the kingdom of God, I understand it as God's future for us, God's dream for us that has broken into our present world. Um, it is a foretaste of that that has broken in through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in the right now. That's when I, when I use the language of right now, from below, on the underside of the empire and all of that, that is the kingdom of God, which is made manifest through Jesus Christ. His life, his teachings, his death and resurrection make visible and manifest the kingdom of God and make it available for all of us to participate in it. Yeah, I would say obviously very similar. <laughs> The rule and reign of God, and I think um, it's the rule and reign of God where Jesus is king. You know, like it's putting, it's Jesus being king and being made manifest in and among us. And I think it's, for me, it's a lot of um, what John the Baptist talked about when he quoted Isaiah. And he said he's making a way for Jesus. And it's like he's raising up the, the valleys and he's lowering down the mountains. There's a leveling that's happening. So when that leveling happens, there's this beautiful thing that happens, this reconciliation that happens, this redemption that happens. When all are one, it's not just, there's not a power dynamic anymore. It's like we're sharing the table. That's why for me, when we talk about the kingdom, the table is very important because it's the place where no one is in charge. We're breaking bread and sharing together. And so for me, it's an image of Jesus being king at the table and us breaking bread with one another and with him. So let's dig a little bit deeper around, around kingdom. That was a wonderful job, 60 seconds. That's fantastic. But we've had, just spent Monday until Wednesday and tomorrow and our theme's kingdom-centric. My question is, what have we been doing this whole time if we're just learning kingdom-centric now? Or do we just know that in... You know, maybe we've always known that. But what were we doing that we need to reorient from? Don't all clamor at once. I'm thinking along the lines of, of what have been the rhythms in our communities and in our churches that we must respond from. Perhaps we don't. But my sense is what, we what's do. The question? We were kingdom, we're talking kingdom-centric, kingdom work, kingdom so forth, and what was the church doing prior to that, that we need this reorientation? So I briefly mentioned, you know, church history, and I talked about Christendom, 
And I think that that really defines what the church has been doing, um, um, marriaging the church with the social order, marriaging the church with institution, um, kind of uh, come to us. We're the center of everything, institution. And I think that the logics of the dominant society have deeply shaped the life of the church. And so instead of really being about pursuing Jesus, about yielding to the spirit, about seeking after the kingdom of God and radically responding, right? Radically responding with our lives, radically reorienting our lives around Jesus in a whole new kind of community that, that comes out of that. I think, I mean, it's just a Christianized kind of version of what the rest of the world is doing. We just slap the name of Jesus and Christian on things. Um, and I'm not saying that there haven't been good moments or anything, but I think that that, that Christendom life has deeply shaped the imagination and our expectations of how we engage in society. And so we don't, most Christians don't want this social order to end. They're actually fine with this social order. They want to baptize this social order. And the kingdom of God is about a whole new social order that we ought to be looking for. And so if we're really comfortable with how things are, then we're not really seeking after the kingdom of God. G give me an example of this. Give me a, a practice perhaps in the church right now. Well, now I'm in the U.S. One of the obvious yeah, examples is, is, you know, the marriage of the church with the Republican Party and, and baptizing America as a Christian nation and wanting to see America. I mean, the phrase is make America great again, right? It's, it's, it's bound up in the empire itself, their existence. If America were to go down, their whole faith would go down with it because it's bound up with their, their hopes are tied to the hopes of the empire itself, the social order itself. And so the fact that that's, it's not bound to the life of the kingdom, it's bound to the society itself. Um, and so I think our, our kingdom imagination um, has been completely domesticated and watered down to the degree that people can't even realize how unchristian that is, how unlike Jesus that actually is. Um, to even think about their own society and social order in that particular way. That's good. That's good. That's good. I think in uh, post-modernity, we become very, um, I, I really agree with what Drew was saying, we become very um, tolerant of everyone and everything. Like everybody's opinion matters. And we lose sight of the fact that Jesus as, is real and he can impact any, any person's life and any community. And um, I think actually for us, the, some of the challenges, we yield towards comfort and yield away from discomfort. And being part of the kingdom means that we have to push into discomfort so that's why being amongst the poor is so important for us as people. Because when we're amongst the poor, we know we have to pray desperately for the kingdom to come. Because people need to see Jesus revealed to them, to be made well, to be made whole. And we lose sight of that. We think, you know, with our own brokenness in our lives, we can kind of, it's sin management sometimes, right? For us, but when we see people who are homeless, disenfranchised, um, physically disabled, and we don't make space for them, you know, then we're, it's not the kingdom. It's like it's us making comfort for ourselves. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's what we do. I'm just saying 
that that is sometimes what the church can lean into, leaning into comfort, talking about the wrong things. I was talking with David yesterday about sometimes what we do when we have uh, those on the margins in our context is we try to manage them. Rather than seeing them as the opportunity for the kingdom to break into our midst and for us to experience God in a new way, you know, looking for ways of empowerment and building up and having people come, having those on the margins come into the center, that's when the kingdom's coming, right? It's Isaiah 61 being realized, and it's when we start to see those things being realized in our midst um, that this reconciliation, this shalom that Drew was talking about is realized, and we can recognize it. But I think we become dull by, yeah, by the dominant culture inculcating the church, and we get lost with it. So again, breaking bread and being reoriented to the king, and the kingdom is, is essential for us. Drew, you, uh, you just brought up a, a word, Christendom. And Christendom, I think, is kind of that fancy, what I call it, grandma's church. Because grandma's church was probably like this church, perhaps quite like your church. And most Canadian churches, that grandma's church could rest in power and privilege and the assumption that everyone would come to them with the answers or the questions, rather, of life's questions. And now, fundamentally, in Canada, this has shifted the church is no longer the center. The church is no longer the powerful, yet have we shifted our function as church, which is now a question of mission. So, Rick, talk to us here now on the concept of mission, because mission in churches has often meant this fragmented approach. Mission has been the thing that those professional missionaries do somewhere in a far-off land. And it hasn't been the filter or the lens through which we view the entire function of church. Tell us a little bit about a reorientation of mission, how you have approached that. Okay, so we're facing this exactly in Brazil too. So um, the, the story that comes to mind as you're talking, we've led this one couple to the Lord. Their marriage was pretty, pretty much over. That's what he would say when he'd come to these groups I was doing back in 2001. Um, he would come drunk sometimes. It was this men's group of these kind of ragtag people in our hillside. Many of those people are now senior pastors, including this couple. And so they're now the senior pastors in Maraba, where we left. Well, our house is still there, but we're home on furlough. But as we were trying to figure out how can we, our church was kind of hunkering down, we were comfortable with each other's friendships. How can we get back out in the communities? And so we started doing discovery Bible studies. But one of the problems was the pastor's wife told me, I don't even have any non-Christian friends. And she's from a non-Christian. She's a first culture, uh, first generation Christian leader. And so this, this happens everywhere. It's not just Canada, I don't think. So for me, the, the cool thing in the last year and a half, talk about Christ-centric or whatever the question was here. Um, but what's really become real to me is as I spend time alone with Jesus... And not talking, just time. So it's called centering prayer or meditation or there's different words for it. But, but you just spend time with the Father. And as you learn to do that, then there's a time for Bible study and reading really good books and praying through lists. I do those things. But before I used to, if I just read this book, if I would just practice this kind of a practice, if I would just read the Bible a little more, then, then more stuff would happen. But what I'm finding is if I can just spend more time with God, so I see Jesus doing this in the Bible, 
he would spend time with the Father. Then he'd do what he saw the Father doing. So, so then when I go and do one of these uh, discovery groups with a person who has no history with the church, he just lives in a totally worldly setting. And then when, when the Lord shows up to him in a dream before I go there, that's just really cool. When you find the Lord out there or in the prison, I do discovery groups in a prison, and they, sometimes the Lord has shown up there before I got there. And so this is the thing, what, what's working for me, is when I spend time alone with the Lord every day, then, then over time it kind of leaks out of me the way I always wanted it to, but not as much as I wish it would. I wish it would more yet. But still, it's what I'm learning, is you spend time with the Lord, and then out of that it leaks out everywhere. Mission, mission not as the one-off thing that we do, but how it embodies the entirety of the church. Tell us how you live that out. Well, I hope I understand your question. <laughs> You're talking about mission? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> Thailand, we are, uh, I don't know how many of you know Thailand. Thailand is a very religious and very spiritual country. Uh, over 90% we are Buddhists. But we don't really have real Buddhists nowadays. It's a mixture of Buddhism and witchcraft, black magic and everything, and they in the name of Buddhism, okay? So in a way, so when I believe in the kingdom as in Jesus, so I think we always try to live what Jesus wants to live. But in Thailand, we are very different, I think. We are very different from you guys, I think. Okay, we, we don't talk that much, you know. We are very simple. <laughs> we do more than talk. <laughs> so, so we are, sorry, we are very simple. <laughs> so anyway, we, so we, we try to do, we try to live it out a lot of time. So we just try to make a decision, okay, go for it. For example, we, we do mission into so-called mission. I don't know, we, we don't actually use the word mission too in my church. Okay, we just say, okay, we should go to this. We go to Myanmar, we go to Laos, we go to this and that place, and we go into slum. And we say, yeah, we should go, we should go. Jesus, Jesus should do that, you know. So we just do what we think Jesus is doing. And we also try to feel what Jesus is feeling too, you see. And a lot of time we also say, oh, uh, okay, how is, what is Jesus' heart feeling about this situation, about this situation? For example, in one time, we, we were talking about how should we give to the poor in the slum. And because a lot of people coming in, and we're, we're, trying, we're starting to talk about, oh, should, what kind of system, what kind of structure we should make. Then suddenly, I think, I think it's God, okay? I think it's God. God suddenly said, hey, be careful. Whatever structure you're going to think of, make sure it keeps your heart soft. So because structure, it helps us to make things quicker more efficient, easier, but then it becomes, the focus is on, on us being convenient, but not rather than on the people that we are trying to help. So, so that, that becomes, for example, that is how we are learning to live the kingdom out, you know, how to really put emphasis on the heart rather than, I think we are trying to put emphasis on everything, on the feet, on the heart and everything, but we are trying to really put a lot of emphasis on the heart, not to let the heart be hardened, not to be too convenient. But so a lot of time we, we talk a lot, but talk in the sense of oh, how should we help this person? How should we, we extend our help? How should we love this person? 
And especially in these few years, when I talk about the kingdom as Jesus, I talk about love too. We talk about love and we talk about, we talk about for example, when the, the spiritual gift is such a main thing for us because in Thailand, it's so religious. If you just keep talking about what is Christianity, you know, yeah, it'd be nice, fine. <laughs> you know, there's another religion. So for me, I mean, spiritual gift is so important. You know, you just go past here and go straight to here and then let them go back up later on, you know. You see? So, so for me, spiritual gift is, is, is Jesus showing his love, expressing his love in action. Love in action, I would say. And, and a lot of time we talk about how to take risks. But in taking, am I talking too much? No, no, no okay, sorry. 60 seconds, right? <laughs> so, see, in Thailand, we are not that fixed with time. Too. <laughs> so anyway, we're talking about taking risks, you see. And, and I learned that in one, one way, taking risks, you're learning how to love. Because love risks. When you love someone, you're willing to risk. But you don't love, the risk become bigger. So we talk about how to live out the kingdom. It's about the feet, the hands, and the heart, and a bit of the head. <laughs> Hopefully the head will follow later. So, yeah, we try to live it. So the identity in Christ is so important for us in these recent years, who we are in Christ. So wherever we are, the kingdom should be there. Uh, just like what you say, the sacred, but I don't see this as a sacred place. We are sacred. So wherever we are, the kingdom is there. So I think, so we talk a lot about this. So for example, in our church, we don't do, we don't do evangelism program. We don't have all this program. We just say, okay, just be Jesus wherever you are. You know? I like that. So you, you, you're not running programs. We don't, mission. no, no. You, we don't. Are, you are embodying a way of life. Yes, yes. Who we are is so, yeah. so central. Yeah. Christ in us yeah. is so central. So we don't do program. We don't say, okay, you do this, you do yeah. that. No. Yeah. We, we leave it out and, mm-hmm. and what's the word? Yeah, Christ in us. Christ in us. And Always that, stressing that point. That's for a country that is spiritual, but certainly not Christian. Yeah. Which looks in many ways like where Canada is moving, being spiritual but not religious and shifting towards that kind of majority, what practices we may have to embody as church in this new world, in this new culture. Can I add a little bit more? And one part that's very important for, for in our case, is healing. healing. Okay, healing, because healing is really, to me, healing is a process of discipleship, uh, process is changing your mind, healing, setting you free from all the bondages and everything. So when you set people free, you are changing their lives, transform their life. Okay, so healing is not just praying for people and let them cry for two hours. That's only a tiny part. Other part is really renewing their mind and help them to live out. You see, so to me, healing is is an essential part, essential part. It's not just Bible study. It's not just come and listen to something. So but it really encountering Jesus in their brokenness, in their, in their what's the word, old self? I don't know, probably. Yeah. Let's, go with, let's go with that. Let's go with wholeness. As leaders, we're always searching for pieces of how we can lead others unto mission or unto a new life. What are some practices of formation 
that we as leaders can embody or point to others as we open the door or walk with people towards wholeness? Well, there's lots, right? I mean, I mean, for me personally, it's I'm very drawn to the contemplative. So uh, listening is really, really important to me because I'm a doer. So I get very easily distracted by all the things that are, need to be done. And I'm good at many things because I've done mission and I've lived in lots of different... I've had to become... I'm so bad at admin, but I've had to become somewhat good at it to be able to do it. So I think... The contemplative has really been helpful for me, and reading people like Nowen and um, Thomas Merton, just reading people who have really practiced this, these things. Um, I think um, eating together has been really important as a practice for me with others. Not just um, inviting, I do the cooking and inviting people, but getting people to bring stuff to share, like finding a way to share one another at the table and one another's stories. Um, worship's been really important. Um, not just worship on a Sunday, but finding ways to worship God throughout the week. Um, I think being very intentional about engaging with others who are different than us has been very important practice for us. Again, just reminding myself of what the call of the kingdom is and the call of Jesus is. Um, so even knowing, I'm, I just moved into an apartment about a month ago and I'm getting to know the neighbors um, and just find out who they are. And some of them don't even know one another. Okay. So it's just, it's really small things, actually. It's not even really big things, but it's just, it's being intentional about um, finding ways to practice what it means to be a follower of Jesus and listen to the Spirit in all things. You're trying to point others or bring others in your community along the way to see what you are doing? Always, to, yeah. always, always, always. I've got six people from Strathcona here. Mm-hmm. Like, we're a poor community. These guys know this. You should see the salary we get. <laughs> Christy's especially. She eats grass. No. <laughs> she learns to cook grass in us, make soup. Um, but we, because we believe so passionately in everybody sharing our experience... Like, we, we, we were very intentional about saving money. And f- actually, Vancouver Eastside Vineyard gave us a check last year. We thought, oh, our brothers and sisters in Vancouver shared with us. That's going to the National Gathering. So we put that in the pot. Somebody gave me some money. We put that in the pot. And then we paid, like, $200 each. You know, so we find ways to sort of invite others along to experience this. And then we share what's – because it inspires people. And we do that in all walks of life pastoral care, bring others along from the community, people who have themselves been the recipients and are the givers. Because I think that's really important for us. It's, if we're going to um, model this thing, then we have to um, release, relinquish some of our power, you know, and, and let others do it and let others fail, but walk with them in it. Because otherwise, we're holding on, even preaching, we, we share a lot of preaching in our context, and there's new preachers coming in. I actually really like to preach, and I have things that I want to teach, but I have to trust that the Lord is going to do that through others. So lots of ways we're trying to figure out how, what are the practices where we can uh, sort of share the wealth, if you like, and let the other voices be raised up. Yes, yes. The preacher taking a pause from preaching, yes, yeah. Uh, formation, wholeness, practices. Yeah. Um, 
One, uh, one thing that has really shaped my imagination around Christian practices and what is formative is learning, is learning about um, uh, early Christian practices. And um, Alan Kreider, who was mentioned earlier for the uh, patients of the early church, he talks also about um, how conversion in the early church meant a change, a conversion in belief, behavior, and belonging. And so in belief, like it was interesting that one of the things that they uh, would do is prior to baptism, the catechism process, they actually would go and like do works to serve the poor and things. I mean, Cyprian, one of the third century or really influential Christian before, you know, in this process of catechism, talks about how struggling because he came from a wealthy family of just learning how to care for the poor and give up living a wealthy life and all the, the purple and the great food and all that stuff. It was hard. It was difficult until his baptism. But, but there was actually this practice that we are going to go out and as a part of Christian life. You serve, right? And that becomes formative. Um, for a belief, I mean, one of the things I think, you know, so we, the word Christian is just so loosely thrown around, and I always believe that we need to immerse ourselves slowly in the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus again and again and again. Um, and I think that that story is, is reorienting in terms of uh, our, our overall beliefs and even how we read scripture will change when we actually immerse ourselves, not in just our favorite gospel, but in all the gospels again and again and again. Um, I think that's a really formative. And then in terms of belonging, I mean, gathering, literally gathering in the flesh, being present among each other, uh, tables, right? Sitting around the table, eating, um, but also along with that eating and speaking and enjoying each other's company is holding each other accountable, speaking truthfully to one another. Um, I remember speaking at a, a Mennonite, for a Mennonite group in the U.S., and it was this justice-focused thing, and, and um, a woman, Michelle Hirschberger, who, um, she's a professor who was at the conference, um, it was at her church for the final day when I was supposed to preach, and they did this prayer, and it like, was kind of out of touch with the focus of the week because it really wasn't as justice-focused as the rest of it. And she... Um, so at the end of the prayer, I'm soon about to get up and preach. She yells out, this is a big, wealthy, you know, comfortable congregation. And she yells out, stop, this is not right. This is not right. We just prayed about all this sin out there and haven't confessed how we have perpetuated been a part of the problem. This is not right. And she's like shaking. At first I thought it was like a, a play or something because you just don't usually see that in the middle of congregations. Yeah, yeah. But she disrupted it and spoke truthfully. And then they stopped and they prayed and they moved. But, but, but the ability to speak truthfully and hold each other accountable. And I, I also had communities that, you know, of belonging were giving, receiving, and sharing love. Where we actually love each other, right? In tangible ways where people are affirmed and built up um, and their gifts are recognized. That's good. We're going to get to you, Rick, in just a moment. Just a quick announcement, those that are going on the tour to the mosque, we're heading out now, so if you can just slip out the side and meet me out there, we'll head over. Take it away, Rick. Okay, I'll just talk as they go. Whoever wants to go, feel free. Um, so yeah, th there's a bit of a theme here, eating in people's homes. That's certainly been an, uh, something that has... Um, been reinforced in the last couple of years for us. And so it's just so important that we go into people's homes and we have people in our homes. 
And you got to do it in a way that's culturally relevant. Here, here in Canada, I think it's harder than in Brazil. It's just kind of easier to, to go into homes maybe. But still, there's a way to have people in your home and to go in their homes. Because otherwise, if we leave our home, then we leave all of our kind of our life, how we have it all organized. We go to a neutral place, and then we come back to our life. But if, the, if you go into people's homes, you see their life, especially if they have little kids. And if they come into your home, and that's a way that we can share who we really are. Uh, in a real or in a way that's easier than when you just teach it. It's more relevant than if you just teach how to be a family. If you have people in your home with your family and they can see how you react when things don't go right or, or when they do or how you treat your, your wife or your children. So that, that's a kind of a spiritual discipline. Going to each other's home, it's a fun one. And, uh, and I already talked a little bit about centering prayer. Another one that came to mind is um, centering prayer. So just being quiet with God every day for a while, maybe 20 minutes. They, people who have done this a lot, Thomas Merton or some others, I forget who it was, but they say, you know, you need at least 20 minutes, and then, and then after a while you'll start to see a change in your life. Uh, just so I'm just throwing that out there as a tidbit, practical tidbit. But uh, another um, discipline that comes to mind is, so I, I've, I've been going out, and we're teaching our people to go out to these non-Christian homes and help them, the ones that are ready. You pray about it, Luke 10 says, Go find people of peace. So you go out there and find people that really, everybody really likes, and, and maybe they're seeking God. So you ask them, would you like to do a study with your friends? Then if they'd like to, so they're living these non-Christian, um, like really non-Christian um, um, lifestyles. Like one guy that I work with, he's a, he's a rock star. He plays in all these bands all around. He's been doing this for as many years as I know him. Another guy was a bandit. He's been in and out of jail. The first time I met him, he was beating his wife. I ran up to him. I said, you can't do that. That's, it was right in front of me. I thought he was going to. Anyways, we became friends. We started doing a study. Well, then I started including these guys on my prayer list because I do it in the jail too. So I go, hey, pray for me. I'm going to the jail. And at first I was just doing my Christian friends. But then I thought, you know, all these people, they think they're, they think they're Christians, a lot of these people. So I started texting them. Well, the first people that would give me back five thumbs up or five hands praying is these, these, these guys. And so, and so I've started to see it like this. These people are made in God's image, and there's a seed there that's alive. And so now we're just calling that into existence. We see it what it is before it is. I think, where's, what comes after this? When is this done? Not that I want to go. We're done. Uh, round of applause. One more. One more. Okay. Did you want to add something? No? Good. One of the things that, um, as leaders, we are often praying over others, and we would wish that somebody would pray for us. So would you stand right now? and receive a benediction. Wherever you're going back home, remember that the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is mighty, mighty to save and takes great delight in you. You are called repairers and restorers of the streets in your neighborhoods and in your cities. Go from this place. 
God takes great delight in you. Be blessed. Have a great afternoon. Do we have any other announcement? Yeah, I'll just give a little thing. Hey, we uh, gave a shout out to the panel here. How about a great shout out to Rahadi here?